All right, uh, what I want to talk about today, I'm going to give you the title of this, and the title is, i got to remember the title here, Be a Part That Makes the Whole. Be a Part That Makes the Whole. So I want you to just let that resonate in your mind for a moment. I'll be explaining why that title is being used here today, and hopefully it will become apparent as we get into some of the scriptures today. I want to start over in Judges chapter 7. So I want you to think about these examples I'm going to use initially, which are going to set up where I'm going with this. And I'll be letting you know why I use these particular examples. But let's go over to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, and we'll find a familiar story there. We all remember the story of Gideon. Let's just take a couple scriptures here in chapter 7 and reiterate something. Early in the morning, verse 1, chapter 7 of Judges, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Now drop down to verse 8. We finally get this number down to 300. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now go to verse 12. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. So we've got 300 going up against a lot more, right? And God has winnowed this number down on purpose to 300. And what did He say why He did this? He said, back in verse 2, you have too many men, and then he said, so you may not boast that you used your own strength, that I'm the one that's doing this. I'm the one who's going to deliver you. God is the one. It wasn't Israel. It wasn't Gideon. It was God's power that was going to win this battle for them. Okay, so... What I want you to think about here, let's go to verse 13, one more scripture. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. So Gideon goes in and listens in on one of these of his enemy's dreams. He's explaining it to a friend of his, and he talks about this barley hitting the Midianite camp and causing all this trouble. So what 
the barley was, the barley was not as good as the wheat. Remember that. It was, it was a lesser plant, okay? So the barley is representing Israel here. So what the point is, is God's going to use a lesser force, a lesser people, the 300 of Gideon, to overcome this large force of Midianites. Alright? So keep that in mind. God's using a part. Ah, remember my title? He's using a part of Israel to make Israel whole. Okay? Because through this victory, Israel's going to do, do good, okay? When they overcome the Midianites. Now, keep that in mind. And think about why God did that, the reason He gave to Gideon. And turn for a New Testament Scripture on this same theme to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. And tell me if this doesn't sound familiar to what we just heard God saying to Gideon. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Emphasis mine. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, I'll return to that theme, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you see a connection between this and what we just read about with Gideon? Okay, I do, because he's speaking to the church here, and the church is what? According to your Bible, isn't the church small? Isn't the church lowly? Isn't the church despised? I'm looking, I don't want, I don't want to say anything about anybody in here. I'll say it about myself. I can get that. Okay? I had some people tell me things in high school. You're wacky. You're weird. Okay? So we get this, right? You get that. That's pretty plain to us. We understand this. Keep this in mind. I'm going to return to this as we go through this discussion. So the part, the part, whether it's the small church, whether it's the small 300 that Gideon had, could do something for the larger group. Whether it was Israel and for the church, who is the larger group? Who can we do something for? Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. We'll, we'll return to that. I don't have all the answers today. I maybe got more questions today than answers, but I do have some ideas based on Scripture on why God uses a part to make something whole. Why God uses a piece to increase whatever He may be doing. 
Now, I'm going to take another avenue right now that's along the same lines. Keep in mind what I said, but I want to talk about something similar to that along different lines. Go back into the Old Testament to Exodus 13.2. Keep in mind what we said about Gideon, about the church being small, Gideon's small part of the 300 when he could have had a larger force. Exodus 13.2. Let's see if we can find some more correlations here with other Scripture. Exodus 13.2, I'll begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Now we've all heard about that, the consecration of the firstborn. What does this do? Okay, it's a process whereby you come into relationship with God. Through the consecration of that firstborn animal, and symbolically the firstborn son of the family, you come into relationship by consecrating that to God. So there's something about this relationship. And what are we supposed to be? Holy, right? And so this brought them closer to God if they followed these dictates of what God was saying. But notice it. The firstborn. The firstborn. Gideon's 300. The church is small, a part of what is larger. God wants to save all, right? The church is small. God wants to save all, though. The firstborn. Some families had more than one child, right? Some animals have more than one baby animal, right? There usually are going to be more siblings when you think about it if we're looking at the big scheme of things. But once again, the point I want to emphasize here is the part, the firstborn, has something to do with making the whole complete, at least before God, in this law that He is giving to Israel. Now keep that in mind. Exodus 22, 29. Exodus 22 and 29. Same idea. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. So again, there's that idea. The firstborn. There could be others. They might have seven children in that family. But that firstborn needed to be consecrated. The rest did not. Why? Why just the one instead of the other six? Just keep that in mind with all the things we've said. Now turn to the New Testament for a moment. You'll notice these themes run the gamut of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. And this may have been on your mind already. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, the one, the one, folks, the part, does what? That little piece, that little part, so in Christ, all, the whole, will be made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, hopefully some of us are going to be there. Hopefully all of us are going to be there, okay? And we're part of that first fruits too. There's scriptures along those lines. So Christ, of course, has done it all for us. He allows us to be part of that whole. But here's my question. Do you have a part in making that whole whole? I don't know if that's a good good English there. (laughs) But do you have part in making that whole whole also? Because I want to lay something on you. I want you guys to take on the mantle of I'm a king and a priest. I'm a leader in that kingdom of God. I want you to get that and be that now. So I'm going to continue my little story here trying to build this case. So keep that in mind. Now let's look at something else. You had to consecrate these firstborn to complete this relationship with God. You had to do what He said, okay? To get into this relationship with Old Testament Israel, with Christ in the New Testament, okay? So let's look at something, though. Back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10. Wait a minute now. Just a second here. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. You've got to consecrate that firstborn animal. You've got to consecrate that firstborn son. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Now wait a minute. If you've got to consecrate your firstborn, if Christ has to be the first fruits in order to make everybody whole, God's saying here that He already has it all. He already controls it all. So He can do whatever He wants, right? If it's all His already, why this consecrate your firstborn? Why this follow Jesus Christ and live this way of life? Why go through this stuff that we're going through if it's already His and He can do whatever He wants? What do you get? What do you get by the struggle of your life? And I want you to start thinking about leadership right now. And thinking about all the books out there about leadership, all the different theories about leadership. And the decisions you make as a Christian... You could say that is a leadership program. Because you got to think during the day, am I going to do this or do that? Should I go here or should I go there? Should I do this or should I do that? A lot of people don't live their lives that way. They aren't in that program. You get what I'm saying? So, so keep that in mind because he says it's already his. It's all his. He's got the whole already. Psalm 24.1. He says it again. The earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it. The world, and get this, and all who live in it. And all who live in it. He can already make you into whatever he wanted, couldn't he? But for some reason, we got to go through this struggle of life. And I don't have all the answers. I'm looking through that glass darkly. I know there's some substance in there, but I don't see it clearly. But something's speaking to us in Scripture here that there's something about this struggle of life that has something that's going to make us better and greater than we are now, and we need to do it, even though God could have done this in a different way. Now watch this one more. 1 Timothy, same theme. Same theme in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. It's sprinkled throughout. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. He's already got it. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Remember what we read in the Old Testament. He already has everyone, including people, if he wants them. But he wants all to be saved. That implies that not everyone will be saved. That gets into that whole idea of this process of life, this struggle we go through. There is some reason to it. Okay, so, holding on to all that, there's a significant scripture we need to look at in Romans 11 and verse 16. So we had somebody speaking about Romans here a few moments ago. He did pretty well up here. I was impressed by that guy. But Romans 11 and verse 16. Think about what I've said. Think about the title of this sermon. And now listen to Romans 11 and verse 16. Now let me just set up the context. You can read this whole chapter. It's talking about Israel being cut off and the Gentiles being grafted into this plant, okay? So that's the context here. Now notice what it says in Romans 11, verse 16. If the part, there's my title, folks, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, there's that, condition if it's holy if it's holy consecrate your firstborn son kill that firstborn animal follow my laws follow Jesus Christ if it's holy get this then the whole batch is holy if the root is holy Christ is that root so are the branches, Gentiles being grafted in. And what does it say later about Israel? All Israel will be saved. Now whether that's symbolic or metaphor or I like to think I'm going to take it as it's written, okay? But if the part is holy, 
then the whole batch is made holy. Let that sink in for a minute. This is a significant scripture. This is talking about saving the Gentiles who were grafted in because Israel was disqualified. But what do we know about Israel in the New Testament? They can come back into it. What do we know in the book of Ezekiel? They come back to physical existence. If the part is holy, now it's definitely talking about Christ there, but doesn't the Bible tell us He wants you to be holy too? Doesn't the Bible call you a peculiar people? Wasn't Israel also called a peculiar people? They were different. They were special. Were they holy? No. But they were special because God had picked them. Just like God picked 300 for Gideon. Just like God picked Deborah. Just like God picked Samson. Just like God picked the judges throughout the book of Judges to save Israel as a whole. Do you see a theme in the Bible? Do you see something that I'm seeing here? How the part has something to do with the whole being made complete in some way. Christ, if you follow Him, you can be part of that resurrection when He returns and turned into spirit being, become His brother, be like Him. That's heavy. Be like Christ. Get that. You'll definitely be holy then. There's a reason for this struggle. Now that's a big scripture, Romans eleven sixteen. There's a lot of possibility there that I don't have all the answers to, but read that whole chapter and get the context. Now, interestingly, Samuel Bacciocci had this idea that the Sabbath, the part of the week, the one day, makes the rest of the week holy in some way. That that one day, if you, if you did what you were supposed to do in that one day, that it kind of sustains you through the rest of that week. Okay, again, that's just an idea, but it's an interesting idea. Think about the holy days. When we come to the holy days, what happens to you? You start to meditate. You start to think about the plan of God, don't you? I hope you do, okay? And doesn't that sustain you for a while as you get back into the world? Don't we look for that Feast of Tabernacles where we can all hang out together, have a good time, and get away from the world? Doesn't that sustain you for a while? That that part of the year makes the whole more bearable, maybe? Just throwing some ideas out there. Just throwing some ideas out. Now check this out. This concept of the part making the whole complete. Jeremiah 2 and verse 3. Jeremiah 2 and verse 3. Jeremiah 2 and 3. Here we go. Listen, Israel was holy to the Lord. There's that word again, holy, okay? The first fruits, there's that word again, first fruits of his harvest. Get this though. Israel was the first fruits of his harvest. What does that imply? 
There's got to be more fruit, right? And what did he say about Israel? They're just a small, insignificant nation. They were the first fruits of his harvest. They were holy. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. So they were doing good when they got into that, that land, right? They followed God, and he, he vanquished the Amalekites and the Midianites. But then what happened? They didn't stay holy, right? They didn't stay holy, and they were disqualified, right? We know the story. But get the part, Israel was the first fruits, okay? And what did he say about Israel? There's a scripture that says, if they would have followed me, they would have been this light to the nations around them. They would have been a light to the... And what does it say about you as Christians? You got to be that light to the people around you. You got to stay holy so they say, he is weird, but he's a nice guy, okay? Hosea 9.10. Oh yeah, this theme runs throughout the Bible, folks. I'm not just picking a few scriptures. There are a number of scriptures like this. Hosea 9 and verse 10. Hosea 9 and 10. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. Oh, I like that, man. Finding grapes in the desert. You guys ever been in a desert? I drove to California uh, one year to visit my brother, and I drove through the Nevada desert, and I got scared. I said, what if my car breaks down? There's fires in the hillsides because it's so hot out here. I don't see anything until you hit Las Vegas, and all of a sudden there's this giant city there. I was like, man, for five hours, there's nothing on the road. It's desert. Grapes in the desert. Yeah, that would be something if you got some grapes in the desert. But notice what he's saying here. He says, verse 10, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing, get it again, the early fruit on the fig tree. The early fruit on the fig tree. What does that imply? That there's more fruit to come. Fig tree gives you some figs early, then you get some figs late. Do you see some theme here? There's more fruit to come. How does that fruit come to fruition? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was there. It was there. I didn't even... just came to me. Okay? And I'm not a comic genius either, so I had to use that. Okay, one more from the New Testament. James. James. 1.18. The book of James. 1.18. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. James 1.18 says this. It says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits, get this, of all, of all he created. He wants to save all, 
I know all will not be saved. I know there's scriptures like that. There are some out there preaching all are going to be saved. I don't hold to that belief. But I believe a lot will be saved. A lot more of the whole will be saved than are ready to accept it right now. But he's speaking to Christians here, folks. He's speaking to you and me. And let me just reiterate, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Truth is involved in this equation. Trying to become holy. Trying to follow God. That's all about the truth. Okay? Through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Now what do we believe? We believe in a second resurrection at the end of the thousand years where many more people come up and learn the truth and many, we believe, will fall for it. Not fall for it. They'll go for it. Okay? I'm trying. I'm going on this comic theme now. I better stop. Okay. So we believe. And what does it say here? That we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Ooh, that's heavy stuff. That is heavy. You trying to be holy, that's heavy to God. That's a big deal. Try to get on it, man. Do it, okay? Now, let's take a look at something. Why have first fruits first? Okay? Or we could say, why the part making the whole complete? And I want to go to an interesting scripture that maybe has part of the answer. I'm not saying all of the answer, okay? But it may have part of the answer. Turn with me to Matthew 27 for a minute. And I want you to get this scripture that you've all read, but maybe haven't thought about it in the context of what we're discussing today. Matthew 27 and verse 52. Matthew 27 and verse 52, Jesus has died. Matthew 27, 52. Now after Jesus' death, notice what happens, folks. Matthew 52. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many... Holy people. Remember that theme of holy I've been using throughout this? You peculiar people. Israel be holy. Christians need to be holy. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Wow. Think about that for a minute. I want you to just let that resonate in your brain a minute about that episode. Christ dies... The tombs of many holy people. Now, who were these people? It's using the word holy there. 
I'm surmising that these were possibly people who during Christ's ministry came to believe in him possibly and died during that time? I don't know. I don't know. That's a possibility. Or they could have been good people like Mary was, the reason Mary was picked by God, who had been alive close to the time of Christ's time on earth, coming back to life, and going into Jerusalem and appearing to many people. Now, wait a minute. Who are they appearing to? Let's think about this for a minute. If they came back to life and they went into town and appeared to someone, would someone necessarily know that they had risen from the dead? Unless what? Unless they were your family member. Unless they were your friend, right? Think about that for a minute. If they appeared to people, what would be the impact? Oh, it's just somebody on the street. I don't know this guy from anybody else, but if they appeared to their family and friends, whoa, Nellie, imagine that in your mind. My dad just died a couple months ago, okay? If he walked in the door right now, whoa, I saw him laying there dead. That's a shock, you know? You don't know how you're going to react. Your father or your mother, people closest to you in your life, that's the first big one for me. It's like, whoa, this is different. This is different. If he came walking in right now, whoa, that would blow my mind. Imagine these people who went out and saw their friends and loved ones, and they had just been resurrected from the dead, and they knew about Christ, and they started to hear the story a few days later. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. Do you not think that those other people who rose from the dead would have an impact on their friends and family members? Do you not think that maybe they were part of those 3,000 that were baptized on the day of Pentecost? I think they might have been because they were impacted by their family members coming back to life, being described as holy people by your Bible, and when it says you're holy, you got a relationship with God. I think they were connected to Jesus Christ in some way, or they were connected to Yahweh, the Father, in some way, and they had an impact on their friends and loved ones, I believe. Do you hear what I'm saying here? The part had something to do with helping other people get whole. Now, yeah, it's all through Christ, right? No doubt, Scripture says that. But why has He got you in the plan? Why are you part of the plan? Why does He say He's going to make you like Him? Not like Him like, oh, I like you. You're a good guy. Like Him like you are composed of spirit instead of flesh and blood. Like Him where you can do miraculous things. That's what it means to be like Him. This is heavy stuff, man. This is mind-altering information when you start to realize it. Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. What happens there? 
in that second resurrection. What do we believe happens, folks? Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. That's why you want to be holy, folks. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. Why is he going out? We put him away for a thousand years. Why do we let him out again? I think it has something to do with those people who come to life, folks. It seems pretty elementary to me. I know it's not elementary to everybody, but it seems so to me. Because they're going to have to show that they're going to be a holy people too, like you're trying to be a holy people now. But if you're trying to be it now, folks, you get to live for a thousand years more. You get to be a leader in a kingdom of God. That is astounding. That is something I want. You want to be a leader. You want to be what Jesus Christ is. And you can be that. You can be that. But the part... Let's go back to this resurrection in Revelation 20. The part. Where's the part there? You're the part. You're that resurrected spirit being who was once a physical being on earth. And you've heard those sermons before, right? You're there and your father or your mother who maybe didn't believe the same way or believed in Shintoism or Buddhism or whatever come up in that second resurrection, and maybe you're there. Maybe you're there to talk to them. Just like in Matthew 27, when those physically resurrected people went back to their family and friends and said, whoa, look at me. I just came out of the grave. Something's up here. And astounded them. When you show them what you are, you're going to astound that family member. They're going to say, I want a piece of that. Just like we should be saying now, I want a piece of what Christ has. I want a part of that so I can become whole. Do you get what I'm preaching here? Do you get what I'm saying here? Revelation 14.4. Revelation 14.4. Can't find the four. I see the three. Okay, these are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. That's speaking symbolically of being holy. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, of course they were sinners, okay? But Christ's death makes you blameless. Repent, continue to repent, and you are blameless before God. These 144,000, I believe speaking symbolically, are found blameless. Holy could be another word that we use there. These are those who maybe have suffered martyrdom, maybe uh, died as a uh, believer in Christ. They are going to come back 
and look at the language that it uses to describe them there. Going back to 1 Corinthians 15, as we start to wind down. 1 Corinthians 15. Remember what it said in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive, each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, when he comes, those who belong to him. And then we read in Revelation 25 and 6. At the end of the thousand years, the rest of the dead. We can read in Ezekiel, Israel also comes up from the dead. Going back to what we were reading in Romans chapter 11, and we see this great story being played out. John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. No doubt about it. It is through Jesus Christ. But Christ wants you to partake of His divine nature. He wants you to partake of His divine nature. Is that just talk? Is that just talk? It's not. It's real. It's real. And you can be part of that. And being part of that can help make a greater whole, I believe. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the understanding. But these scriptures are crying out for the stupendous story that God is performing in this world today. Remember, Revelation 5 and 10. He wants you to be kings and priests, to reign and rule. You're no longer going to be that weird person. You're no longer going to be that not noble birth. You're no longer going to be that nothing. Okay? And I say that with all the love in the world. Okay? (laughs) All right? You're going to be like your brother Jesus Christ. Get that. When you get that, when you take that on, you will live life differently. You will live life differently. And we've got to try to live life differently. We've got to be a light to those around us. We've got to be something different, like that resurrected person coming out of the grave and blowing the mind of their family member. You've got to do that right now if you can. In some way, somehow, you can influence other people. I don't know all your relationships, all your friends, but you can do things now to influence others that I cannot do with those people who are in your life. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence at its core. 
And we all have influence with certain people. Take that on. Use that. Leviticus 23, verse 10 and 11. Going back to Pentecost here. Going back to Pentecost here. We're almost done. Leviticus 23, 10 and 11. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old, without defect. Now think about that sheaf. They cut that barley and they wave this sheaf, and they consecrate it before God the next day. But what's a sheaf, folks? Is it one little strand of barley? A sheaf's like a little bundle, right? So it's a, it's a bunch of little barley stalks, okay? A sheaf. Why didn't they cut one? Why didn't they cut one barley stalk? That would represent Christ, right? The one. Because He wants you to be part of it. Is that sheaf relating to not just the first fruits of Christ, but also you who are described as first fruits in the Bible also? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting to think about, though, when you think of what happened in Matthew 27. When you think of what's going to happen in Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. And when you think of what you're doing in your life right now, what influence do you have? What influence are you using to talk to someone, to reach out to someone, to do something to further that gospel message, to be holy now? It all has some reason in the grand scheme of things. I don't have all the answers to all these questions, but there's some scriptures that give us some good inkling on some of this stuff. We don't know it all, but we know what we should be doing. There's no doubt about that. We need to start doing it and to keep doing it. Be part of that whole. Be part of what can help make the whole.